When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is part two. So happy Friday, people. Part two of your Sam Warburton interview on Distant Pod is about to arrive with you now. If you haven't listened to part one, you will be sensible, yeah? Would, sure. would you walk... Would, if, you, if you walk in halfway through a conversation, you normally get people to yeah. update you on what's happened so far. Yeah. So go and update yourselves. Go and, go and find Wednesday's episode. Mm. Listen to that, because otherwise... Yeah. I don't know. It would be silly, wouldn't it? Sound advice. Yeah, I think so. I think... You, could you watch... Toy Story 2 without having watched Toy Story 1? Arguably, yes. Yeah, yeah, you'd probably get, yeah. You, you can get involved in that. Think, I watched Gooey Buns 2 as a standalone piece. Really? Yeah. Does it work? It worked for me. <laughs> but plot-wise, I mean. I'll be honest, is, the plot is very thin. Is there not a lot of plot in Gooey Buns 2? No, this, it's all a plot, put it that way. Okay, okay. Mighty Ducks 2, you can watch. No, this is a bad analogy. Godfather Part 2? I don't think you can. I don't think you can really... Well, I don't know. I don't, no, that's the example I usually use. Okay. And Godfather Part 2 is better. I've never seen either of the films. The Godfather Part 1. never seen either. So I think Toy Story 2 is better than Toy Story 1. Is there any sport in The Godfather so we can make... Oh, that's interesting. Mike watch it. I mean, Fredo gets killed fishing. Horse racing. So... Don't they chop a hell of a something? Yeah, there's a bit... Yeah, there's a horse in, in Godfather Part 1 from the horse racing. Yeah, that, that could work. There we go. A horse. A horse <laughs> is sport. <laughs> A bit of a horse. It's a horse's head. Part of a horse. Part of a horse. Does that yeah. count? Well, good to Michael Owen. What if it was Stanley Matthews a year in it? It'd be a good count, wouldn't it? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So why shouldn't Red Rum's head count? I don't think it's Red Rum. <laughs> but yes. I mean, I think it is. Yeah. I'll yeah. just watch it anyway. Yeah. Okay. I think you should. I think that would be good. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. This is part two of our first guest episode with Sam Warburton. This is a paid advert from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, we all carry around lots of different sort of stress moments, whether it's like big or small. It could be as huge as, how am I going to pay the mortgage this month? Or, you know, I'm, I'm ill, but I don't really want to talk to anybody about that because I don't want to make them feel stressed about it as well. Or, you know, it could be just as, something as small as, how am I going to get to school pickup in time? I've got a meeting, how do I change that? How do I move that? I forgot to cancel that. And lots of the time we keep it bottled up. And whether it's big or small, it can really start to affect us negatively. And therapy is kind of a safe space to get those things off your chest. So whether it's like coming up with plans to to organize your life a little bit better or whether it's just having someone to talk to about those things you don't want to stress out your mates or your family with. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable and entirely online. You will be matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time. 
our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash distant. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash distant. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Should we do some clips? Yes. I reckon let's do some, because Sam's chucked us over some clips, getting into the format. Do so I realise as well? Go on. What? They're very English-centric. I apologise. I, I, no, I just wrote them no, down then, but three, I'm like, wow. It's because right. my dad's English here, and we'll come, probably come up to some stories about it, but I grew up with my dad, who's obviously a diehard England fan. Yeah. I've lived in Cardiff a whole life, and I'm very much Welsh, but yeah, he loved England, so that's why a lot of these are quite English-centric. Yeah. Here, here we go, then. Make fun with the clip off. Go on. So when you were playing for... Wales against England. I remember seeing my mum years, years and years ago when I was a kid. You know, what if I because my dad's born in England. I said, "What if I played for for England, mum? Would you support me or 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 Wales?" She went, "Wales." <laughs> Pretty so good. I, I said, "Really?" She said, "Yeah, I want to have a nice. I want to have a nice game, but I want to lose." <laughs> I said, yeah. So, so when you're when you're in teams that have beaten England, was there ever a bit of bit of banter with with the old man? Well, my my dad. Couldn't give a toss about rugby. He's a football fan. He has no idea about rugby. So he was he was my biggest supporter along with all with the rest of my family when I played for Wales. And he wanted Wales to win at all costs because when I, wherever I was playing. And then maybe he was walking the dog and he said somebody pulled him over in like when I was retired, Wales playing England. And they were like, James, James, you're not watching the game. He was like, no. He's like, they're like, why? He's like, well, Sam ain't playing. I don't care. And like, <laughs> and he, I, he's like, just a, he's just a, a diehard England fan. And he did say to me when I was young, he's like, oh, Sam, you know, if England come knocking, would you, would you play for England? You know, and I got, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know what I wanted to do until I got to about 16. And then I played for Wales against uh, Italy at the Knoll for an under 16s match, my first ever international game I played. And they played the anthem. And I remember thinking, Sorry, Dad. I'm only playing for Wales. That was the moment I was like, "Oh fuck! I love being Welsh, and I'm I'm so Welsh, you know." So yeah, I only ever would have played for for Wales, even though I've got heritage in England. Should we go with Johnny then as the first clip? As we talked about him already, so this is a bit of Johnny Wilkinson winning the World Cup for England in '03. We were such an established side. We knew each other, you know, inside out. We knew how to win big games, and that was our moment. It's extra time, 14-0, only seconds remaining on the clock. So every time we got in a good field position, we gave away a penalty, which was, you know, I, I can promise you, that was, there's no way we needed to, we wanted to. We're a very professional team and we pride ourselves on, on, on not doing dumb things like that. So a full time, I had, I had to think then, you know, we made, we made a decision to put Jason Leonard on and his instruction was very clear. Um, you know, you've got to sort the scrums out. It's no secret. I knew he was going for the drop goal. Johnny knew his drop goal. The whole world knew he was going for a drop goal. So if you were on the Australian side, you'd be sitting in the blocks 
and you'd be twitching, ready to go, because you'd be the one wanting to charge that kick down. So, you know, my thoughts are, well, yeah, they are going to be twitchy, so I might just dummy the trigger on the gun and see how they go, and that's what it was. So I, I got myself into a position, and, and as soon as they tweak and they go back, then that any scrum half will tell you that's that's then the time to pass the ball. I suppose Johnny ideally would have liked it on his left foot, but I thought he'd missed three on his left foot already, so I said, go on, try on your right, and you're too good anyway. I made him look even better than he is, I suppose. The whistle hadn't gone, and they had one more kickoff. You know, and we could have lost the World Cup on that, that kickoff. So the kickoff was was massive, and um, without doubt, it was probably the worst kickoff I've ever seen in terms of England's point of view, because everyone's in the wrong place. It was actually Trevor Woodman, our prop, was underneath the ball, and he caught it, we set it up. And Greenwood was standing in first receiver. And all of a sudden, he is, and I was outside him, he has then dropped onto his hands and knees. And I've sort of looked down to my left, and you can see him in the video, he's actually standing there on all fours. And he's going, kick the thing out. And I was like, oh, thanks, mate. Why didn't you just do that? Do you know what I mean? So, and then Dawes got it, and we, we slowed it right down. And again, we kicked, just kicked it straight out. And I just thought, you know, there's probably still 10, 15 seconds on the clock. And we all just looked at the referee, and we were like, is he going to blow, is he not going to blow? Because you just didn't know what the guy was going to do. So, And luckily he blew. So, Just relief, honestly, sheer relief. It would have been, you'd never, ever have forgiven yourself for losing that match um, because it, it, was there, it was there for us to win. Because you couldn't write it, you know, to be ahead, for them to come back, to be ahead, for them to come back, to finish it, and then, you know, for, to finally blow the whistle with us ahead was just um, just such a relief. David Kirk. Nick Farr-Jones, Francois Pina, John Eels, and now Martin Johnson. So why have you picked this one, Sam? Because I remember being in my lounge, um, and I I love Johnny, which is why it was such a privilege to speak to him, you know, on the podcast. I loved Johnny because he was like, I found like he was one of the very few players I could relate to because I felt I was quite like him. Um, and I, he was the, like that first player to really embrace professionalism. And I used to like, he wore Adidas back then. I used to go to the shops to buy the same Adidas tops as him. I read his books. I watched the England DVDs. I just wanted to achieve like what Johnny Wilkinson achieved. And I remember being in my lounge, jumping for joy when he got that drop goal, which Welsh people are going to hit the floor, fall <laughs> off their chair hearing that. But I was like, you know, I'm, at this age, I'm a young, naive 14-year-old. I didn't grow up in a household to appreciated the whole Welsh-English rivalry. I was just watching a Northern Hemisphere team mm. win the World Cup, which is, you know, I still, I want, Ireland is our best chance of winning it now, coming up. Yeah. If, if Wales don't win it, I want Ireland to win it, you know? So I remember just going mad for that. And there was that like World in Union theme tune. I was like, shit, I want to win a World Cup. And I loved it, you know? So that was just quite an inspirational moment for me because I just thought, yeah, I want to do what Johnny's doing, you know? So that was one of those penny drop moments for me. Were they a team that the Welsh players in general looked up to and tried to emulate that England side? I'm not going to lie. They, the Welsh boys never spoke about that Northern Hemisphere team. But whenever, like, say, we got credit, um, the, the side that I played in, because we, we did okay. Um, you know, we, we were good in Europe, but we weren't great against the Southern Hemisphere. Not until the latter years, anyway, we could beat South Africa regularly. But for the first bit of it, we really struggled against Southern Hemisphere. But I was like, yeah, no, that, and in my head, I'd be thinking, no, that 03 is the benchmark. You know, they went to New Zealand, in New Zealand, put them away. All three came to Twickenham in the autumn, yeah. then put all three away. Then they won the Grand Slam, then they won the World Cup. Now, that is the best yeah. team in the world. That's ruthlessly yeah. good, you know. We were never that level. So that's why I always tried to chase that level that they, that benchmark that they set. And even our team, like, I remember I was doing something with JPR once. 
and somebody said, oh, who's the better team, the the 70s team or the sort of, um, what would you call us, the teens, I guess, you know, the yeah. 20 teens. And I was like, oh, it's got to be the 70s. Like, we had a good crack, but we weren't as good as them boys because obviously a lot of us did well on Lions tours. And JPR mm. just um, looked at me and he said, Sam, have you ever beaten England 13 times in a row? And I thought, is that how many times you beat England in a row? Wow. And they went, yeah. And I, so went, no. and I thought, Jesus Christ, that's dominant, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. The 70s boys, you know, that would have would have probably had to, you definitely had to put them above us. I'm always fascinated by modern rugby players' attitudes to this. Did you ever look at the amateur era? Or do you look at it now and think, I would have liked to have played then. I know I wouldn't have been paid for it. But the scrutiny was different. The pressure was different. The lifestyle was different. Do you ever talk to Gerald Davis or JPR or Gareth Edwards and think, yeah, that sounded pretty good, actually? Well, I do remember one story. They said, not not those boys now, but some other lads who were playing in a similar era. They were like staying in the Angel Hotel and the team manager was like, um, you might have to cut this, lads, but I'll put it in there. You, um, <laughs> they, they said the team manager goes, oh, lads, before the big game tomorrow, we decided to bring your wives, and, the wives and girlfriends in to have a meal. And they were like, shit, let's get the strippers out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's not getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like, you know, I hear these stories, but I think that's why I, I sort of mentioned the job. That's why I think I resonate with Johnny. I actually love the the pressure of it. Um, mm. I love the big matches. And I say to the lads for big games, I'm like, big games, big players. You know, like, that's where your big boys stand up. And that's where, like, your Adam and Joneses and Jamie Roberts and Gethin Jenkins and Faletowers always have big games because that's just what they thrive yeah. on. So I, I sort of love mm. the professionalism, the hype, the crowds, the attention. Because I'm like, no, this is what you've sacrificed so much to be. Don't go, I do walk the dog and I'll go around the local parks pitch and I'll see my local club, Rabina, playing, having a laugh. And I'd never play now, so I'd, I'd probably get injured and I w- would never live down an 18-year-old kid skinning me, which they probably <laughs> would now. But I do watch that. And that's why I sort of mentioned that Witchers game was one of my best memories. I'm like, oh, but it's so much more fun at that level. You know, like I do yeah. miss that, just getting a ball and just, just actually playing rugby. I, I miss mm, that because yeah. when you're at the level, at national level, you're not really playing rugby. It feels like you're doing a job which is like a ruthless operation. You get it wrong, you're gone, you know? And it, that's a lot of pressure, you know? So, and if not not, not just your coach, you know, you're going to have a journalist write about it, which is going to influence three, 400,000 people's opinion on you as well, you know? So you, you have that pressure when you're playing at that level. And I do miss the thought of playing club rugby in front of no one and just actually playing the sport. I play five-a-side with my mates and I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it because yeah. no one's watching. I'm playing five-a-side footy. And it's brilliant, you know. So I, I do love that play aspect of sport, which which you miss a bit at a professional level. I mean, in fairness to them, though, the scrutiny was the same and the pressure was the same because people still wanted Wales to win a Five Nations as it was then at yeah. Twickenham or at the yeah. Old Arms Park. The difference was Barry John worked for Midland Bank during the week as opposed to, you know, spending hours and hours in the gym. That's the, you know. I think we weren't allowed to get together, but like within yeah. 48 hours of a kickoff. <laughs> yeah, you were allowed, allowed to, to gather and talk yeah. about stuff. Yeah. I sometimes wonder whether that would have been more enjoyable. You're right. You make a good point, actually, because you know you you get distracted and suddenly because like, people say to me now, "Would I want to play for Wales now?" And I'm like, "Well, if you said to me like, if I turned up the stadium to cover a game, like, oh, shit, Simon, you're still actually registered and blah blah blah, and can you just go on the bench and you, we only use you for ten minutes?" I'd be like, "Fucking hell, yeah, I'm day. Yeah. amazing." <laughs> but if, if you're asking me to, Class. if you're asking me to do the six months it takes to get to that point, then I'd be like, "Oh no, I'm not doing that." So I wonder whether you know, if you are in that amateur era, you can dip in and dip out. Maybe that would have been more enjoyable and from a mental aspect. Yeah. You're not living it every day, you know. So that maybe would have been could have been to your advantage. 
So I coach my little boys team. Well, they're not old anymore. He's under under thirteen, but since they're like under six, under seven, and they'll ask you like, "Can we?" When they, when they brought kick into the game, or when they bring you know, the, at every age group, you can do more and more stuff building towards the real game. Mm. And saying to me, "Can I can I chip? Can I chip and chase?" I said, "If you think a chip's on, chip." You know, what can I do? Can I, I said, like, "Whatever you want to do, go and enjoy it." Right? No one cares about the score. I said, "It's not paying your mortgage. It's not paying your bills. Yes, just just go and enjoy playing rugby." Do whatever you want to do. I, I, I completely agree. And I had a coach who came at Cardiff, came into Cardiff, who was Australian. He was really refreshing. He, he watched, we, none, he, we did, none of us knew him. He came in on his first meeting. And he um, that meeting, we were like playing in a big game and one of our tens kicked the ball an attacking kick in like the opposition third, which is like more common. You know, you kick the ball, you know, to try and get the ball back and an attacking chip or something cross field. He paused the video and he just said, in his first meeting, he said, to, it was Gareth Hanscom. He said, why'd you do that? And we all thought, oh shit, he doesn't want us to kick the ball away like 20 yards from the line, even though it was a good attacking kick. And it was like towards the end of the game and we were five points down. And Gareth Hanscom went to, to try and get the ball back and try, to try and score. And he said, great, so why wouldn't you do that 80 metres out from the try line in your own 22? And he oh. was like, and I, and I liked it. He said, if you've got the same chance of doing it there as you have yeah. on your, why, why don't you do it? And he was like, like you were saying, he was trying to like stop the guys from having the blinkers on and feeling the risk. He'd be like, just enjoy yourself and play. And if it's yeah. if, if you've got the same ratio of doing it there, just back yourself and I'll trust you to do it. And if it goes mm. wrong, that's my ass. But, you know, and I, it was really like liberating to hear a coach say that. So I mm. agree with you, like rather than trying to get young kids on a, on a script too young, just get them to, play as long as they can express themselves yeah yeah just go for it yeah this clip was probably about three phases before johnny does the kick matt dawson does a little run because he thinks it's too far out for johnny to but the risk involved in him possibly losing the ball there is bad oh my god but he's gone for it anyway i love that when the clock is red and as a player and it's greasy and you're trying to climb your way up the pitch it takes a brave fucking player to stand up and carry that ball and, Extra and, time in a World Cup and final. You, and you've got 17, 18 stoners f- trying to hit you, you know, off the line, screaming, shouting. Like, that's why when I watch those final closing moments of big games like that, those small moments, I'm like, that's a. I look at who's stepped up to carry, and I think that's yeah. a brave fucker there. Like, because you yeah. see a lot of players who'll just, oh, I'll just clean out. I'll just be that third guy. And, <laughs> but the one who actually puts his hand <laughs> <Yeah>. in. <laughs> I'll yeah, stand you know what? And if you want to see a big game player, when you're next watching a game of rugby, look at who stands up in those moments, you know, and they're, the, they're your real leaders. You know, they're the ones who are willing to take that risk when, when the pressure's on. Go on, Sam. Give us a different sport. Again, it was an English football clip. Fucking it was back. I know, sorry, lads. I know. Um, these, these are just the like, most vivid memories I've got from being a teenager. And my dad used to take me to a pub in Cardiff, which when England played, it was England fans only. So I went which to watch was England. It was Where was the that? Griffin in Lisvane. Oh, yeah? Was oh. it? Yeah. Only, only English used to go there and watch these, these English games. So I used to go there with my dad. It was when Michael Owen scored the Germany 5-1 goal when he sort of flicked it from his from his heel and scored that amazing goal across the keeper into the top corner. And I remember, like, you know, pints flying everywhere. One guy lost his turf because somebody smoked his pint into his mouth. And <laughs> my dad, I remember my dad was frothing at the mouth, cheering, like, you know, like he's, like, real die. There's actually a funny Instagram clip I might show you guys. on my. It's on my Instagram. You have yeah. to go back about two or three years. I, remember, I think I posted it. I was like, this is what I grew up with. And England finally scored that winning penalty, Eric Dyer, going back a couple of years oh, ago. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And my dad nearly fell over the banisters on the um, on the patios. He was chanting so much, and he was screaming like a like like a screaming like a, a guy with like problems, you know, with the TV. <laughs> and and I was just there, just casually, just recording because I knew this was golden. But this happens every Tottenham game, every England game I watch with my dad. Yeah, that's what that pub was like. I remember that Michael Owen goal. That's when he really got on the radar. But that was um, I remember seeing that, and that was um, that was a pretty cool moment. Now Gary Neville. Is there a flat? No, and it's swept in by Ed. A real pick for the first half is the poor defending of both teams. Down to Lewis. Oh, it's three one for it. It's interesting this because Germany had such a, a mental stranglehold over England at the time. Yeah, they yeah. don't anymore. Yeah. You know, they they England beat them in the in the Euros, obviously beating the Nations League recently. They they don't, but at the time, yeah, big time, yeah, because they'd lost it the the semi in nineteen ninety. They'd lost yeah. the semi in ninety six as well. I think they've beaten England, uh, Germany in a competitive game for quite a long time. Oh no, that's not true. They beat them a couple of years before, but they 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 still had this aura. This was a battering though. Wasn't yeah, it? that was a good England side. That was a really mm. good England side that probably should have. They won. should have won something. Euro two thousand and four, I think, was probably the one. I probably that wasn't going to win team. a World Cup. Go on, let's say final team on eleven on paper. Yeah. Oh my mm. god! But it didn't work. No, it didn't. No. And that's the thing. Because they tried to play the same midfielders, all of them were the same. Yeah, and Johnny made such, you or Johnny made such an interesting point about teams, about how when he first broke into the England side, there were an awful lot of players who would often straddle the amateur and professional era who were just very, very chilled, people like Martin Johnson. And he said that he was this obsessive, very anxious, stressed trainer who, who 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 trained harder than everyone else and was just this ball of anxiety before a game. So he needed the senior boys to be really, really relaxed. And he said, it's not like we were drinking wine on the coach on the way to games, but there, there was still that sort of that feeling. And then he said, so then I had three or four years out with injury. And then when I came back and was England captain, I was still as anxiety ridden as I had been as a young man. But suddenly I was a senior player and I didn't know how to be this relaxed senior player. And so all of the youngsters are looking up at me. They're like, fuck, it's not all right. Look at him. He's the captain. (laughs) (laughs) And the the balance of the team was wrong. Even though he was a better player, when other players came in at 10 instead of him, Mm. the balance of the team was better. And they actually ended up playing better as a consequence. So... It's, you look at that England side on paper and you think, Christ, how, how do they not win? Well, there's a thing of always picking your best 11 or your best 15, but it's not always your best team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's true. Well, yeah, so I saw a Lions best team the other day. The I can't remember what account it was it picked. It might have been the Lions, which voted for by people. But the centres, I think they wound up with O'Driscoll and... Gus Scott. And Jerry. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. And you think, well, would that work? 
And it may, it may well have done because they're both incredibly talented players. Yeah. But you just kind of look through all these things. You go, oh, yeah, that might be your best 15 players who've ever done it. But does that function? You know, you see the back row and you go, oh, does that work as a unit? Is that balanced? But you don't think that, do you? If you're voting for who's the best seven, who's the best eight, that's just a different vibe. Football used to be, probably until the late 60s, it used to be about individual battles. Mm. So you would choose the best right winger and the best left winger and the best right back. And the right back's job was to tackle the left winger and that was it. Mm. And then when football became about systems, it then wasn't the best individual person, the best individual traits and characteristics. It was about who fit the system better. And teams with a good system will usually beat a team that's got good individuals in it, yeah. I think. Mm. And it's... That's the psychology That's really. why that England team doesn't really add... I think they were probably managed poorly and they were a bit unlucky because Rooney got injured and there were the, the big injuries at sort of, you know, crucial times. But it never really clicked that England side. I remember reading about, um, I think it was Clive Woodward saying talking about radiators and drains in the changing room. So that, you know, you might have someone who's a, who's a, a very, very good player, but if his attitude makes everyone play a little bit worse, yeah. he's, a, he's a drain on the team. He's, he's not a radiator. So you're better off having someone who's 90% as good as that player, but doesn't take 5% off the rest of the team. That, that's what, like, you know, when people are like, oh, you need that blend of experience and youth. But even if the experience isn't playing as well, that's that, like, calmness that they bring to the dressing yeah, room yeah. and they just exude confidence. You can imagine, say, like, Alan Wynne-Jones now, if he's not playing his best rugby, but if a young 20-year-old is in that change room and Alan Wynne-Jones is just, is just, you know, prowling around that dressing room, just uber confident, that's going to rub off a lot on that youngster. Do you know what I mean? He's going to have a lot of, his self-confidence going to go through the roof knowing he's got his back. And then when someone like Alan Wynne-Jones goes up to him and embraces him and backs him, do you imagine how powerful that is for those young yeah. players? So that that's what, and then never mind the sort of tactical insight that he'd have as well on the field. So when people are like, oh, he's not playing as well, he shouldn't play him, like, mm, yeah, but their influence can dramatically transcend just what they do on the pitch. We mentioned on the pod the day, and you, and you, you alluded to this earlier when you said about with the referee with the forearm and everything. I thought you always dealt with officials really, really well. And that's that's massive in the modern game. And like with Ken, when he came in as captain uh, this season, we mentioned on here to the boys that you could see Alan Wynn, even though he's he's in the team now, not as a captain, would be talking to Ken. You could see it. And I'd love to be a little fly on the wall. He's obviously saying to Ken, go and ask him about this. Yeah. Go and tell well, him about that. that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah, when I, um, that's what I hate... I, I don't like taking any credentials uh, or credit about captaincy. So I'm like, yeah, but I had, can you imagine being captain if you had Alwyn Jones and Dan Bigger and John Davis and Jamie Roberts and Gethin Jenkins all giving you like Intel? Like yeah. it's fucking easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I, I was only decent because I had s- such a good group around me, you know, and like they, they're as influential but that's the mark of a leader. So the fact that you were able to yeah. do a lion, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but when you when you were the Lions captain and you've yeah. got Brian and you've got O'Connell there already, who've, you know, done the job, and you're able to not be intimidated by that. I think when you were talking to Paul But also for them to respect you enough. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what was to have that confidence in you? Yeah, do you know, a really um a really good quote actually. I actually I thought it was one of the one of the ones that really stuck with me with one of these guys, one of the athletes I've been interviewing. It was Seb Coe. And he was talking about leadership and he's obviously like done it from a athlete's perspective and like political and Olympic committee and now he's president of World Athletics. But he just said something which really resonated. He just went, um, weak leaders love weak people around them. And that's what oh, I loved it. Oh, hello. I like, oh, that's a great, that's a great, <laughs> it's Ellis's motto. It's, it's a great line because it's, you know, you know, you've all seen that person who just gets a load of yes men around them who just don't challenge. Yeah. And I think that actually a good leader actually 
sees all the good people around him and actually go, you go. Like, you could do this. Yeah, like, it's not just about you. You know, it's about everyone else around you. So... I think that's what, like, yeah, that's one that. sort of the good things rugby has taught me. It's like you know, you don't want to naturally as a rugby player want to be the guy front and center. You play rugby because you love being part of a team and you love being one of the boys, you know. So I think having that group around you is um, such an important thing. You know, I, I tried to live under a rock and get away from all that. I hated that that stuff. But yeah, having people like O'Connell and Brian, I remember O'Connell after one session, the, one of the first sessions we did in the Lions, he got us all together and I was captain. He was like, boom, 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 boom. This is the kind of pack we're going to be, this, this and this. And it, it was awesome how he spoke, you know. And we walked off the pitch and I thought, oh, I, love you, I love that. And he cut to me, he was like, oh, Sam, I'm so sorry. And I was like, why? He went, I, I didn't mean to just sort of take over at the end and just start speaking. I just kind of like how... Me and Brian work at, you know, Ireland. Brian's a bit quieter and might only speak towards match day. Mm. But I sort of drive it a bit in the week. And I was like, oh, mate, that's exactly like, say, me and Alan win. Like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll only dip in a little bit. Um, there's other guys who drive that in the week and who need to bring that emotion and enthusiasm. And I'm like, yeah, no, brilliant. Keep doing that, you know? So you've got a real confidence in yourself to be able to deal with that as well, yeah. Sam, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I sp- there's plenty of captains would be too, that wouldn't be able to hack that at all. Then that's when, like, I credit those boys because like they'll come up to you and be like mate anything you need like great choice back you 100% anything you need just let me know and then you'd suddenly like fuck I was watching these guys 10 years ago as like a giddy teenager and now I'm <laughs> the captain like you know it's, yeah, yeah. it's what, but once they give you that confidence that's why that's only one thing I do regret I would have loved to have been a player like this boy's my age still playing now older I'd love a young guy to come in I'd love to just like speak to that guy straight away and empower them. And like Martin Williams, the first one to me, he was like my Welsh hero growing up. And he was the first person to come up to me my first day at Cardiff. And just, I trained with him uh, in the gym he, and he was just like so, so nice. And I, I My only regret is I, I never, I wish I could have had that influence on a younger player because it meant you, so much to right. me. Yeah. That's, that's not, because I saw you do something, right? So that's not true. Because when, during your year off, there was a guy called Sam Cross who'd come over yeah. from the Sevens Tour That's to right. play for the Ospreys. And he played really well for the Ospreys in a cup game that he got called up for. And then he played for Wales. And you were during your year off, I think I'm right. And you were in, because me and Martin were doing a podcast together, sort of in the same room. Oh, and yeah. you were over on the far side doing yeah. video analysis with Sam and talking him through stuff. So you did do that. Do you know what? I can't remember. Oh, I, I forgot that. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I remember Rob McBride, who was forwards coach at the time. I didn't get paid for that. I wasn't, you know, yeah. I wasn't employed by WB. He said, oh, mate, can you come and speak to Sam? I think it would be great just for you yeah. to give him some tips on how to on how to play 15. So I was like, oh, yeah, brilliant. No problem. So, yeah, so no, maybe. You, did, you did do that sort yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, yeah don't put yourself Oh, cheers, Steph. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was captain of the England team, that uh, England football team that home was it? Oh, would it have been Beckham back then? Been- Probably. Probably would have been Beckham. He had a good game. Some of those England players did underachieve as well and didn't quite play. They weren't the players they were at club level. How they played at club level. Yeah. What do you think, though? Skulls, Lampard, Gerard, Beckham, midfield. Yeah. That should be off the scale. That is absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. Mm. So I like, was it Campbell, Ferdinand, Ashley Cole. Gary Ashley Cole was the best fullback in world football, I think. Oh, he was time. awesome, wasn't he? Mm. He was awesome. I loved him. Yes, he was. Was it Rooney and Owen? Rooney Owen. What a team! Like. Probably wouldn't have been Rooney. Uh, not Rooney Pesky. in two thousand and one, but it was certainly it was certainly Rooney and Rooney and Owen a couple of years yeah. later. Yeah, that's a good squad. So yeah. why do you think they made you captain with all of those captains or previous captains in the squad? Was the, were you ever told? 
you know why what? they saw cup you obviously Warren Gas loved them. Good rapport with Warren. Yeah. Son of Gats. Um, yeah, son of Gats. Yeah, Dad. Um, I, think, um, <laughs> I think when I was I was very, very like super professional. I was actually um quite aggressive um and very confident and to the point where I remember somebody read a rev- somebody did a review on um, something I wrote in my book, and they went, "I started reading this book, and I thought Sam was incredibly arrogant, but by the time I finished it, I realised it was just an enormous amount of self belief." I think Warren kind of like saw that in me, and I think he he quite liked that because the the problem with Wales is like people say, "Oh, Wales, we like being underdogs." And that's like, that is a Welsh kind of psyche. But I was always like, no, we fucking don't. I hate being underdog. I yeah. haven't like mm. sacrificed so much to be like number two. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, and I, and I remember like and that's what Gats tried to get out of us. He like on a Monday, he would put the bibs out from one to fifteen, and they pick the team on a Tuesday, so day before team announcement. On a Monday, we go out for like an afternoon session. He go right, starting fifteen to play England, pick up the bibs, and he had the team. Ooh, love it! Oh, shit. And obviously, all of us would be like. Not, I'm not just saying this to be funny. It was true. Mike Phillips fucking walked to the nine straight every away. time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was the only one standing in the middle of the pitch with the nine shirt, yeah, like, yeah. "On fucking come on, lad." But Gats loved that. Like he wanted, he wanted you to That's be more. Great. And he said a great, he said a great story. Somebody said to him, "What's the best traits you've learned about all the the home nations and all your years being a Lions coach?" Because he's done it since 2009. He said, the Welsh, he said, tend to be the best athletically. They they train the hardest. You can imagine all grown up in that, you know. Were well, you benching, sport. bud? Yeah, were well, you benching, you know. Because like they, they, they train the hardest. They're the best athletes. That's what I found that's what with the Welsh. And that, in that era of Wales, you know, we did have big, big powerful players. He said, the Scottish, I never picked enough of them to find out. <laughs> but he said... But he did say... He did say... He did say the Irish... Uh, the Irish are the, the best tactically and they challenge the coaches the most. They have the best game understanding, which I think we could we can see that the way Ireland play. They're the best te- technicians and tactically. And he said the England, he said this, I'm not saying to take the piss, he said this is genuine. He said, even when they're shit, they still think they're the best. And everyone started laughing, but he said, I know it sounds like a joke, but he says, but that's why they've beaten New Zealand and South Australia more times than anyone else because they, they think it. And we had this one last little one on this like we had this one meeting I mean we, we were facing the hacker like we went to New Zealand we were facing these hackers fucking everywhere like the first three days was just marry welcome after marry welcome and I remember Gatlin got the leadership boys in it was like me Bigger Jamie Roberts you know the, Alan Wynn those boys we sat down had a meeting on a Monday morning like we always do as a leadership group and um he said oh lads when we were at that college yesterday I'm just wondering what's going through I'm a, as a Kiwi what's going through your mind when you're facing these hackers and I was, I mean, Jamie Roberts went, oh yeah, just, you know, taking the culture and just, you know, privileged to be in the Maori Treaty. And, yeah. and then he said, to, he looked at Dan Bigger and he went, well, what do you think, Biggs? He went, yeah, no, just same thing. Like just, yeah, just, you know, pretty cool to experience New Zealand culture and all that, be respectful. I remember thinking, oh, fucking hell, don't ask me, Gats. <laughs> um, Warbs, what, what do you think? And I said, oh, no offense, Gats, because I know you're Kiwi and that. I fucking hate it. And I said, you remember that big one who was at the front giving it the big one to you and me? I, I just eyeballed him and thinking, come on then, you fat prick, let's fucking go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, 
And, and I didn't know what he was going to say. And he went, exactly, it's a challenge. And that's how you got to perceive it. And like, so before the... Um, before there was a Lions DVD in 2013, there was one clip of me just ranting and raving for the game, and they were playing it in the house one Christmas, and my in-laws were there, and you're always on your best behaviour for the in-laws, like you are when you're doing yeah. media, you know, you're on your best behaviour, you know, yes sir, no sir, oh yeah, you know, can I marry your daughter, all that. But anyway, this... Um, <laughs> with the media? Yeah, yeah not with the media. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my in-laws are watching this DVD, and they were like, my, my speech, my, I'm fucking effing and jeffing, and I'm like getting pretty aggressive, because that was the mindset I used to get in. And... Um, I knew I knew that's what coaches quite liked about me. I was a bit of a hothead, you know. And they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't like that." My, they were like, that's, "That's not an accurate reflection of Sam." My brother was like, "That's fucking was exactly that what Sam is like." So I, I think to, so, like to sort of round it, I, th- I think just that's kind of aggression, belief, mindset, competitiveness is. I, I think you know, professionalism is is what he liked and what he yeah. wanted to try and drag a bit more of out of the lads. Right, it's been brilliant, mate. Thank you so Amazing, much for your time. Thank you so much, Sam. Really oh, appreciate it. I loved it. it. Really enjoyed it, it oh. Yeah, Love what you do as well. So keep God. doing it. It's good fun. So uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Mate, you never split your eyelid north to south doing podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> That's reassuring to know. So that was the Sam Warburton episodes. I hope you enjoyed them. Hope that was fun as far as you. They're really good fun to do. We're going to do some more of these guest episodes. Uh, we have got... Who are we recording with in the next couple of weeks? Kate Mason, TV presenter. We're recording one with her soon. Uh, we're doing one with Richard Herring, the comedian. And a few others who we're nailing down dates with as well. A very famous cyclist who hopefully, before he competes in an event that's coming up soon, we're going to do one with him as well. So these guest episodes are going to keep coming. If you've got suggestions... Feel free to send us a suggestion for a guest episode as well. doesn't mean we'll do them because we want them to be people that we like. We want them to be people we get on with. Oh, I'll tell you who else we're going to do one with. Shall I tell you that? There's another comedian who is very, 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 very famous and has a very, 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 very famous podcast. And Mike is on his podcast soon and he has agreed to come on ours. So that one will be soon as well. Now, I'm not going to say who that is. No, you can work. You can probably work it out anyway. But those are coming up. So if you like the guest format, Jump on the socials and tell us. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. <laughs> no, feel free to give us feedback either way. I won't, I won't read it. It's fine. Um, thank you for listening. There will be another one of these in your inbox on Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday, depending on how you consume the podcast. <laughs>